Clay, I frequently poop on Neelix. I think you've been doing that. Maybe not fre- frequently is the wrong word since we're only seven episodes in or Voyage or whatever. But I will say that mm. ex post facto, the episode we're about to talk about, features a genuinely my favorite moment that, <laughs> that he's had so far. It's when... Um, it's when they, well, someone mentioned, Tuvok comes in and he's like, I'm going to mind meld with Paris. And, and he just goes, he's going to what? What did he say? Mind what? What the, what? Mind. <laughs> I just, I liked the performance for that. It was a, um, I was trying to think of like what comedy it reminded me of, but there's, there's a, there's a certain kind of comedy that's just built around that sort of like overreaction to whatever someone says as a kind of strangeness. Yeah. And, it really stuck out as kind of a weird moment for Neelix, but I thought it was charming and I thought it was funny because it makes sense that he would not know that Vulcans can do that. So this would be the first time that anyone's mentioned that to him. So I that's thought that true. was nice. Yeah. No, that's definitely, he's definitely channeling the uh, Abbott and Costello style of, yeah. of uh, overreaction kind of uh, big, big takes to the camera and, and stuff like that. I thought it was strange. Yeah. Was I mean, it's fun. It's fun that there's a, uh, a whole new section of people, a, a quadrant of people who have never encountered the Vulcans before. So yep. all of that stuff rings new again. Well, with the, uh, the I thought that I, yeah, go ahead. I was, I was just gonna say, I thought they should have just gone for it in this episode and had the doctor pick the name Dr. Spock. Yeah. I know. <laughs> he should just have a different name. Every episode, like redo the credits and everything. It's like Dr. Spock is in this one. That's terrific. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I thought that uh, you know. I, well, I guess we'll, I guess it's something that's probably a topic for the the break. So here we'll get into the the details of this one. It's called ex post facto. And before we go any further, there have been fourteen episodes with Latin titles. Clay, can you name two of them? No, I cannot. <laughs> this one, this one, and uh, I don't know. Um, what episode ended Ex Enterprise? Libris. What, what was the what was the the two part of the ended Enterprise? Do you remember? I was two. I was one foot out the door. I didn't read the title. <laughs> Terra Firma one and two. I'll go. I'll go with that. But there's ah, Vox Solo. There's a whole bunch of this stuff. Ex Post Facto is the eighth episode of Voyager's first season. Came out on February twenty seventh, nineteen ninety five. Teleplay goes to Evan Carlos Summers and Michael Pillar. Story credit goes to Evan Carlos Summers, directed by LeVar Burton. In-universe date, not specifically known, but it's 2371. In this one, called Ex Post Facto, Tom Paris is convicted of murder. He denies having committed the crime, even though the images extracted from the victim's own memory seem to prove his guilt. I have a soft spot for these kinds of episodes, and they're never very good. They're never great, these ones, but I like... (laughs) I like Star Trek episodes that tr- kind of try to do like an Agatha Christie Columbo thing in them. I mm-hmm, always think they're mm-hmm. fun, and I always think that it's a really neat um, attempt to do something. Like I'm thinking of Matter of Perspective and TNG is a terrible episode, but it's set up very similarly to this one. Um, there are better versions of this, uh, like necessary evil is kind of a, 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 a ds9 episode that does the same type of thing more noir uh, more noir than uh matter of perspective is and stuff but it's a long way to go i really like these setups and they never come out very good i don't i think this episode is fine i think this is a pretty decent episode of voyager all things considered but you're you're watching it and 
I just know I'm like, this isn't going to really hold together by the end of it. Like this is going to be, it's going to be a little bit wonky getting to the finish line and not that the ending is everything, but it just never, never, never congeals. If that's the right word, it never really feels like these episodes ever come together, even though I love the idea and the, uh, the genre, I think would be a better way to say it. Hmm. I actually really enjoyed this episode. Mm. Um, I, I, again, I don't know if it's just, enterprise hangover or what but like this seemed like a a classic style star trek agatha christie mystery i love tuvok as a detective character he's he's probably the best as i was watching this as i was watching it i was thinking i wish they would do a whole show like this if they did a star trek murder mystery with a vulcan detective as the lead fuck yes i would watch that show that'd be amazing (laughs) call it the uh the passionate Um, adventures of detective tuvok or something it's just him and a shuttlecraft going to different planets every that's that's the reboot i want to say what's what's tuvok doing now he's solving crimes i i guess we can start with tuvok I think, this Jag. Is, I think the, it's Jag, I, but it's just Tuvok instead of the guy from Jag. He's the entire office. <clears throat> I think Tuvok is the best part of this one. Tuvok is one of my favorite characters so far in the show just because I like Tim Russ's mm-hmm. portrayal of a Vulcan. I, it's almost, it's not trying to be funny, but his cadence and his interaction in a noir detective story is very funny when Vulcans come in and do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's not trying to be, but just the... Because the whole noir thing is just so, you know, the sultry woman who's like, let's have a drink, detective. He's like, no, you can have a drink <laughs> and just <stands laughs> stares at her. I just think it's, um, it's, it's fun and he's a good, the Vulcans are, as you were saying, great detective characters. They're like, they're so funny in that situation that I think it would work. I think you could have a whole series based around Tuvok doing detective stuff. Yeah, I think it would be great, um, especially if you had like, if you had the sort of um, <clears throat> classic detective setup. This is how much we really re- enjoyed this episode that we're just pitching a new show instead of talking about it. <laughs> um, you have you have Tuvok surrounded by the classic sort of uh, de- detective archetypes. Yeah, his like secretary, he's got a, an assistant. Yes, the secretary and and the uh, the oversexed uh, femme fatales and stuff like that. And then he's just. <laughs> you know, stone cold, uh, Vulcan in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like this. I think I liked it mostly because of Tuvok. Like I didn't, while I didn't explicitly know how it was going to end, I, I thought the ending was never really quite in doubt. It's like, obviously he was framed. Um, do you think it's likely that it's the character who's there for no particular reason? Who might be the killer, but is prominent in many scenes. Is the uh, that's always the problem with these ones? It's like, why does this doctor character exist? Oh, he's got to be the killer because there's no reason for him yeah. to be there at all unless he's the killer. Yeah, there's there's always there's always uh, story math you can do to just figure it to figure out who the killer is in these things. Like I remember when I was watching Broadchurch, I loved Broadchurch, fantastic uh, murder mystery. I figured out who the killer was just because of. I did process of elimination of characters who had lines that they didn't rule out. I was like, Oh, that guy, they haven't talked Mm -hmm. to him yet. He must be the killer. Um, but, uh, I love, I, I really liked the opening scene. It had a, had a really kind of like twilight zone or, or more accurately, like a, a black mirror kind of vibe to it. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I just I still don't like Tom Paris as a character. I think he's very boring and very stock Star Trek for me at this point. Um, yeah, I think he's got more interesting characters around him, uh, and he didn't really do much in. I feel like he's kind. Of, is he all, always kind of getting like examined or something? Is, is that the the trend with him in these episodes? <laughs> like he's always the one getting hit in the head or something, or I think examined, the, or taken the, out of the story. The problem with him behind the scenes about this episode, I guess, is there was a lot of discussion about whether or not they were just playing him up as the kind of like horn dog um, guy who can't control himself in the vein of not really in the vein of Kirk, but like a womanizer stereotype along the lines of Riker and stuff like that. And I think that there's a concern there because like even like so Paris's two main things so far are he's the person that stuff gets explained to. Or he's the guy who's mm-hmm. ogling the women, which I don't think is necessarily like a bad characteristic. It's kind of tropey and trite at this point, and you've done it a lot, especially in Star Trek. I think the problem here is that he he he's kind of at fault, even if he didn't kill the guy. You know, like he he didn't he yeah. didn't really yeah. do a great job on this away <laughs> mission, and they when don't he, comment on that when when. When Tuvok asks him what happened, and the first thing he said is, their marriage was over. It's like, that's never the way you want to start that sentence when you are accused of murdering someone's husband. He's going to You don't even, the, the, the moment that you, the moment that you imply that there was any impropriety, you are already have one foot in the grave here, buddy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like he, he was still, he still was not acting uh, in a manner becoming of a, a Starfleet officer. Or just a guest. He got bored a guest with in his general. mission. <laughs> like, you don't have to You're be a military guest, guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but I mean, even so, he got bored. He was yeah. bored with what he was sent there to do, so he wanders off to try to make out with the guy's <laughs> wife. <laughs> Not exactly uh, something that's going to get you promoted, generally. That, that, like, because Matter of Perspective plays this same idea as the TNG episode. I, I don't know if you remember, but for people who are listening at Don't, it's the Riker. I, I clearly do not. Riker is framed for murdering a scientist, and he also is accused of having an affair with the wife of the scientist oh, before wow. he kills this the, the guy. That one's a little bit okay. more of a... Um, they use the holodeck. It's a fun holodeck detective story because they use the holodeck to like recreate the scenes in the trial so that people get to act out and see what, what it looked like and stuff. It's not a good episode, mm-hmm. but there, Riker does not go as far as Paris does here, which is this like weird yeah. realm of like he's actually crossing a line, which is kind of fascinating. Um, and the wife is great television. Great, awful television kiss, though, when they finally kiss, where they they do that thing yes. where it's like you you're you're gonna you you want to kiss, but you're trying so hard not to. So just <laughs> open your mouths and rub them over each other's face Smash a couple together. times before you really lock it in. <laughs> my favorite scene between the I two try of them. to convince my girlfriend. I, I see that. See, that's how it, that's how you do it. But she doesn't seem to believe me. No, this is just. Uh, can't get any good feedback on what a good kiss is. I'm still trying. Just like lay, lay out whatever you got out there and see see what happens. I thought it was lucky that um, I was I was like, well, at least I'm glad that the husband didn't walk in when she's on her knees in front of him in the the yes. observatory. <laughs> that was yeah. that was a weird staging. Why did she she? Are they impl- they're implying that right? And then Paris awkwardly gets on his knees. He's like, well, I'll. 
I'll just I'll hop down here, I suppose. That was favorite was episode of the season so far, Michael. <laughs> Michael, great job. Brought me to my feet. I have a couple notes. <laughs> we could have pushed it a little bit further in certain areas. It's that kind of stuff. I so I like I, I apologize. I know there's a third person involved with the creation of the show. Frankly, I don't remember what your name is. All my questions and comments will go directly to Michael. Do um so what do you think of Paris in general? Maybe not even in this episode, but like where does he stand for you? You you've kind of said that he's not your favorite character. I I don't dislike him, but he I, I think the thing that's interesting is like him and Harry Kim are kind of paired up as a combo. Yeah. And I don't think that either of them are particularly strong enough to make the combo feel necessary. Like they don't really they don't really play off of each other in a way that they go like, oh, this is like Odo and Quark, or this is you know, it's like Riker and Worf, even mm-hmm. or something. There's there's a kind of energy or difference in characterization that makes them interesting to sit with each other. Like the, the I think the second scene where in the shuttlecraft where they're starting to lay a trap or whatever so that Paris gets picked up by those guys. They're having a conversation. It's the most boring conversation I think I've ever seen in Star Trek. <laughs> yes. It's it's really low energy and boring. And I feel like they they are two halves of a character that is incomplete, if that makes sense. Like they tried to pair them, but mm. they're almost better as one character in a combination to this point. But what do you think about uh, yeah. Tommy P? Um, well, just to, to speak to the combo thing there, it's it's strange to me that they've never done what you're saying because I think the more interesting character is a combination of the two, which would be... <clears throat> a ensign who is the horn dog yeah. instead of like one of the commanders you know someone who's it's his first time out in space and he's very excited for a number of reasons yeah not sure um, of the they've rules they've never really too, done that a, yeah a little bit a little, right a little bit a uh, little bit unaware of what protocol would demand <clears throat> yeah the closest that they've got to that is probably the chris pine um mm. captain kirk that's kind of the energy that he gives off but um yeah i think uh, interestingly enough um I think this is the first instance where watching Enterprise before this kind of hurts Voyager because I think every time I see Paris, all I can think about is Trip and how much more I like Trip. Mm. I think he's kind of a, a better version of Paris. That's fair. They kind of look similar too. They're they're similar person. They do. Yeah. 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 I I could see that. I think Trip is Trip is by far the best Enterprise character. Um, and I think that he he does have that kind of energy that you would expect Paris to have. Um, and Paris kind of does have it. It might just be that he's not... I don't think he's fully coherent as a character yet. And I, don't, I don't know what they're really he trying to do He doesn't serve a purpose. Yeah. Like, he doesn't serve a purpose on the ship, really. Mm, I mean, I'm, I'm sure he does. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I'm okay, sure. I know, I know what like, you mean, yeah. It yeah. doesn't... Yeah, he doesn't really... Everybody else kind of has a thing that they do. And like you said, he's just there to have stuff explained to him and to be caught philandering yep. and uh, <clears throat> et cetera, et cetera. He doesn't seem to really bring much to the table other than piloting skills. Where if you, someone like Trip, Trip is involved at a, a high level in all of the decisions that are being made generally. Um, and so he just feels like his his character's a little bit more uh, fleshed out 
whereas yeah. Paris still just feels like he's the the requisite horn dog on the ship. Yeah. To me he kind of feels like generic character that is flexible enough to go on any away mission and it kind of makes sense that he's there, you yeah, know. Like sure. it's mm-hmm. it's that kind of uh, thing with him I think at this point cuz I I I think Kim is slightly a better character, but Kim is kind of a more boring character at the same time. Like Kim's trait is to be the sort of like green ensign who doesn't really stand up for himself and is questioning things and isn't really sure what's going on there. But he's not, he doesn't really have a personality that I'm like, Oh great. A Harry Kim, Harry Kim's coming down the pike and this is going to be excellent to watch whatever happens. I think that, I think that Paris is still slightly better than that just in terms of, you know, Harry Kim would never have the scene where he talks to the wife or whatever, <laughs> for better or for worse. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and it almost makes it, it almost feels like it should be Harry Kim doing that stuff. Mm. Like, like I was just saying, like the, but it's, you know, every time they have one of these younger, uh, green characters, they're always extra tied down to the rules and stuff, and it's always up to the to the Paris character to be like, you know. Sometimes the right answer is the wrong answer, right? Unless you are actually wrong and you get everybody killed. But sometimes the right answer is actually the wrong answer, and it's and you know you get, he has to get loosened up by the guy who's been there longer and stuff. It would be nice to see the flip side of that, though. Outside of those two, we'll probably come back to Tuvok and um, Paris, or maybe not Paris. I don't know how much else there is to say. But certainly Tuvok. Well. The only other thing there is I think the final scene with Paris and Tuvok is really good. I, I love like that. that I thought that was great. And I was surprised yeah. they did not set that up earlier to make that scene yes. make sense. Yeah. Right. I mean, not that it not that it doesn't make sense, but to have it pay off more than it's like I, I think that scene is really good, but it sort of comes out of nowhere that Tuvok is alone yeah. and doesn't have friends and that Paris is sort of not friendly with him at first. Yeah, it's. I guess it's kind of tough um, because if you're opening your show with the scene where he's getting, uh, you know, the mind bullet put in his brain or whatever, um, the hook. Yeah, you can't really. Yeah, you can't really set up interpersonal relationships on Voyager at that point. Um, it's putting a I, lot of weight on. So I, I think it's okay. I, th- I think it's putting a lot of weight on the setup still, which is that Tuvok is not Maquis. Mm-hmm. And that par- that there's some kind of strife between them in a way that the show mm-hmm. hasn't really shown you, but it's playing that. And I think it's also yeah, it's it's bringing up it's something that makes sense. Like I think that Tuvok as a Vulcan would be a loner, but they've never mentioned that he does this before. It's not something that has been a right, character right. trait of Tuvok that he's not particularly close to people, even though it makes sense. But I. I really like that scene. I thought that was a great character moment between the two of them and bonding about something. And it also, I thought it was a nice button. It probably has more to tie into Tuvok if we get further back into him, but it's like a, a good, a good way to show what Tuvok values as a person um, and where he, where he sort of was willing to go. Yeah. It would be nice if they set, if they had used the previous episodes to set that stuff up better, kind of like, an enterprise where they start off when they first have dinner with the Paul. She only eats breadsticks, and then by the right. end of the series, she's ordering like <laughs> In and Out burgers with the secret code language and stuff. Yep. Um, but yeah, I I think this again that setup of the Maquis and the non Maquis is such a good setup that is generally just sort of left behind. Yeah. 
because yeah, I think if if the final if this episode and the final final beat there comes after eight episodes of Tuvok kind of being an outsider all around, especially with the Maquis guys that yeah. he uh, betrayed and stuff, and Paris maybe doesn't trust him because he, Paris is more of a Maquis, blah 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 blah. Yeah, um, I think that works. I think it lands even better than it does because i that's not to say that it doesn't work as it is because i think it does i think it's a great final scene but i i do agree that i think you if they could have you know just spread some stuff out a little bit more to add add yeah. some stuff in like that yeah yeah it's a little it's a little bit of a scattershot episode in that like tuvok doesn't assume the mantle of lead character until about halfway into it when he's like i'll become the detective now yeah. and i'll solve the mystery it's a strange um, construction of an episode where Janeway seems like she's going to be the primary uh, protagonist of it because she's going to try to rescue Paris, but that that doesn't turn out to be the case. Um, it's also, I mean, talking about scattershot, there's basically an entire B plot that gets relegated to a single scene with the Doctor. Yes, I thought that was going to be something that went through more because um, I actually liked that scene, but it's just the one scene where he's she's talking to him about picking a name and then they never come back to that. I mean, he's in the episode more than that one scene, but they yeah. never touch on that, that specific storyline again. I like the camera work and direction in that mm-hmm. it's all one take and the camera's slowly moving and the camera mm-hmm. moves into position where it follows the conversation. It was well done. It's clearly LeVar Burton's first, uh, first shot or something coming into a new show. And he's like, I'm going to lay this one out perfectly. And then the rest of it just goes mm-hmm. uh, over the shoulder cuts and whatever on a, um, a more structural level. These uh these these mysteries are always tough. Um, I I do thought you, that this one. Do Do you trust Tuvok's um, Vulcanness enough to lay the entire solution on whether or not a dog barks at someone or doesn't? Bark well, at someone? like I I think Tuvok a does very a, gr- a very earthly <laughs> very earth looking dog. By the way, it's not I mean, exactly it's an ugly ass dog. Delta Quadrant <laughs> dog. Yeah. Yeah, Tuvok, Tuvok does a great job of being a detective. However, I'm not sure he ends up with a single conclusive bit of non-circumstantial evidence at the end of this that no. uh, that completely no. exonerates his client. That was the strangest thing to me is that uh, I read one of my favorite books of all time is Bill James's uh, Popular Crime, and Bill James is the um, the sabermetrics guy who works for the Red Sox, and he go he writes a lot in this book about how he would redesign the criminal system to be like more evidence-based. And he thinks that the criminal in the court system is too based on narrative and who can tell the better story and stuff like that. Sure. And he sure. just talks a lot about circumstantial evidence. And I was watching this. I'm always reminded now, like, because once, once I read that, you when you watch court proceedings, you are aware of how little evidence is sometimes used in things. And it's a lot of like, mm. I don't know if that means anything at all. Uh, that's all Tuvok's case rests on is, well, you're the same height as uh, the vision I saw, and this dog seems to know you. So I assume you killed yeah. the guy. That's that's it for me. Yeah, he doesn't even. Um, I feel like I feel like more of a smoking gun would be if he managed to decipher those the secret code that was in the vision. Yeah, but he can't do that. Um, why did the I aliens mean, not notice that code? That's never been in any of the visions before when they watched the memory, the engrams. You know what I mean? Well, it was it was always there. It was there from the from the first scene. Yes. Um, but yeah, I don't know why. 
but Tuvok says that it in there. it's never Tom Paris is unaware because he's never had it. But Tuvok says this has never been a part of any previous memory right. thing. Does that mean that the aliens don't see the memory? They must see the memory to be able to Great pin question. it on, on Paris. I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, no, they do. They definitely do. <clears throat> because they talk about how they can save the memory and grant. Well, I they put it in artificial intelligence f- or something. Yeah. Don't they they, and it, they yeah. put it in artificial intelligence, but that doesn't explicitly mean that they see it as much as they put it in a robot and the robot apparently, I guess, <laughs> relives being killed. <laughs> oh, <It> man. <laughs> I want to see an episode about that robot. Like, yeah. imagine he's he's this artificial intelligence that his only purpose is to relive horrible murders. <laughs> that's that's it. That's his only purpose. Yep. That's a really if I ever write Star Trek, I'm using that character. Does the <laughs> forget about Khan's uh, ancestors or something? We're going right to it's just. No, nope. I'm, I'm just imagining those scenes just read out by like a deadpan robot. It's like. No, don't tell my captain. I'll stop you. Um, I thought that. I just thought that ow, was ow. Once ow, <laughs> ow, ow. Once, once Tuvok had to Agatha Christie'd up and invite everybody to the living room and then explain what was going on. It did feel a little bit flimsy, which was, which is all too unfortunate because I loved all of his detectiving scenes, <clears throat> but his his ultimate yeah, case yeah. is pretty weak, all things considered. It's one of those. I don't think there's a problem with this script, really, but it's real. It's one of those where you go like, ah, I wish that was about 10% better. I wish that solution was just a yeah. little bit better yeah. than that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it does really coast on Tuvok, I think. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, I, I think if they had time, they could probably craft a tighter mystery. Um, I think the bones are there for for a really interesting story because the i i do think that that whole your punishment is you have to relive the uh the 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 murder from the point of view of the person you killed yeah every four hours or every whatever is pretty interesting um that's the perfect kind of and like there is kind of this weird they only bring it up in passing but there is also this weird sort of uh cruel and unusual punishment element where that was the solution instead of the death penalty where it's like well i mean we don't we're not savage enough to kill people anymore we just make them relive the moment over and over and over again for the rest of their life yeah so i think there's a lot there but um yeah it kind of i it kind of if tuvox wasn't as good in this role i don't think it would 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 work as well for me also those yeah can we talk about those aliens for a second (laughs) What's going on? <laughs> is it? They look like they're. Is it feathers? They look like bird people, like eyebrows. I, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. Like you know that there's got to be like an earlier version where they had beaks or something, <laughs> and they were just like, no, this is we can't. This is too much. <clears throat> Save it for the Zindi aliens that we don't see. The bird Zindi. Yeah. That's what we're gonna do yeah. with these guys. I I thought they were weird. Like their hair is strange too. It's just this like rat's nest of hair that all of them have on their head and yeah, they have feathers it, yeah it's it's like it's like they're wearing a kerchief of feathers that goes like over the top and sides yeah and then they've got regular hair coming out of the back of it like prince from yeah. 1999 or something <laughs> i had a i had a bigger issue with them outside of uh how they look though is that 
the way this episode opens where Harry is explaining what him and Tom went to go meet these people felt mm-hmm. it was like startlingly human to me. You know, they're, they're so far away from home, but the people that are talking to, they're like, well, that's a hell of a journey you guys have. This is our science academy. This is this guy. Everything is like completely aligned with how humans would be. We have a horny wife and the mad scientist character guy. It's um, We're in the middle of a civil war. You know what? Come on in. <laughs> Check it all out. It's yeah, on a on a technical level. Honestly, if 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 we're being really honest here, we're both technically in the war, but only one side is really taking this seriously. They do this every six every six years or so, and we just kind of like we let them do it. <laughs> they get it out of their system, and then they're fine for another for until the next election. They've got the ships. They've got the ships to do it. I I think that um, structurally, it's just kind of a strange episode, and that like you know the Tuvok thing is not really set up at the beginning. I think that the way that it switches main characters is strange. The the strings that have to be pulled to make everything work together, like the the fact that there's a civil war is just kind of like, you think it's just this weird tangential thing that ultimately pulls it in. And I guess if I was paying more attention, I would have seen that coming. I, I actually didn't see what the solution was going to be, but it's one of mm-hmm. those, it's just an episode that feels like it's, to me, it feels like it's just like chugging along, but it's doing a good enough job where, I'm not super concerned that the wheels are rattling the whole time. Like it, it felt like there were many right, times right. during this episode where the wheel could fall off and I go, this is a, not a very good episode at all, but it, it made it to the finish line, which was the, the most interesting aspect of it, even though the finish line was not great really. Yeah. I think there's elements in there that could like, like I'm just joking about the civil war thing, but like it's really a non-factor until they need it for the ending. Yeah, it's completely designed to explain what has gone on, and it's not necessary outside of that. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, they could have done more with that, at least environmentally, and like the 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 place where this story takes place and all that kind of stuff. Um, I do think there's the another weird part about the ending is after all of this stuff that Tuvok says, you it's still all of this um, circumstantial evidence against the word of the wife who was there (laughs) and nobody nobody ever nobody ever outright accuses her of working with the with the other side i don't think yeah and it's like she's just kind of like yeah she she kind of they kind of don't really take her into consideration for at the ending it's it's all about the dog i guess but that that was a little weird i think that could have used a a polish and stuff but um yeah overall i thought it was fun is um Maybe it's intentional. You let me know. I was watching this, and it's one of those ones where they show the um, the flashback. Obviously, is the 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 sort of driving thing of the episode. Uniformly in Star Trek, when there's a flashback scene that characters are watching or reliving or something to know what goes on, I always feel like the acting takes a ten point dive for some reason. With like, no, you can't be in yeah. here. No, wait till I tell your captain. I'll. I'll be right back. <laughs> no, Tom, no. And it's like, wow, this is... But I I guess it's supposed to be that, bad that because... That whole flashback sequence had big Borno energy. Yeah. It was like Tom was Tom was going to ask if they needed to fix the cable or something. But the, the problem for me is that it's... I guess it's kind of supposed to be that way, right? Because it's supposed to be this guy pretending to be Paris. Right? Uh... 
So he, is he? I does he literally say know. those words to him? Because doesn't the guy say? How much editing went into this memory? Because the guy who's killed is talking to him right. about Janeway and stuff like that. You know, right? Yeah, like the guy who who's killed. The memory is presented as the guy who is killed is seeing and talking to Tom Paris and also Tom and also like narrating his own death to a certain extent. (laughs) So I don't. Yeah, it's not it's not like Minority Report, you know, where it's, you know, Tom Cruise sees a vision of himself from uh, a different perspective. Yeah, it's not like he doesn't see the whole picture or anything like that. Right. Yeah, you're actually just seeing. So it had to have been completely fabricated. Completely fabricated. But but they were standing next to each other because the height matters. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's the (laughs) (laughs) that's that's where none of this makes sense, because if it's completely fabricated, none of that stuff needed to have happened other than the fact that he gets stabbed in the ribs. right? Right. Yes. So there's no reason why this bird person would <laughs> present, the doctor bird present person himself. <laughs> doctor bird person would present himself and stand yes in, in and block himself the way that is blocked in that memory. Yeah. And that interaction. So yeah, it it, it does. It brings a lot of uh, <clears throat> a lot of things into question when you really kind of try to parse out exactly what it was and it's I didn't one of those things it where it's like now. Does it, I, I didn't think about that right. during the episode yeah it's one of those things where it's like does it really matter no not really no. i mean it, it if i i think there's uh there's times when plot matters and there's time where feel matters and i think this is a feel episode yeah. even, yep. oddly enough where it should be a plot episode because murder mysteries are generally like you know fairly tight when it comes to this or stuff. Should, should be. Yeah, and plausible. They, they, or should yeah, be, yes. Yeah. Tight and plausible. This one is more of a just sort of, you know, feel. It, there's there's science fiction involved, so there's a lot mm-hmm. more wiggle room as to what you what you can and can't do. So I think it, it doesn't really matter, ultimately. My, um, my big surprise with the murder sequence is I was convinced with the number of times that they showed the vision of the guy falling and hitting the ground after he's been stabbed that... <clears throat> Tuvok was going to see something in a reflection. That really felt like oh, that, sure. that felt like the enhanced, the, the, yeah, enhanced, enhanced. <laughs> just pulls, get the Tom Cruise gloves and start like spinning the the thing around. It never happens, and I was surprised because yeah. they showed the guy hit the floor like five times in it, and I was I was always just looking in the the thing to see if I could see a reflection of the real killer or something. But no, never happens. Um, yeah. Before we go to final. Final thoughts. I don't know if we've talked about this enough, but I, I think it would be, uh, since it is my favorite part of the episode outside of Neelix. What, what is, like, is this just an obvious question? What is it about the Vulcans being detectives that is so appealing to this? Like, they're perfect at it. That That is their role, yeah. is to be detectives. I thought that... Um, I don't know if the mind meld adds something that pushes him over the top or something, but I I don't know if it's the way that uh, Tim Russ just copies Nimoy's eyebrow raise whenever someone says something and he's, yeah, he's suspicious of it. Like, so, I think it goes a long way. That's the one thing where I'm on the fence about him 
because I love his performance. But the more I watch it, the more I'm like, oh, he's just doing Nimoy. Yeah. He's, I, I don't know how much of this is him bringing his own thing to it because there's so many uh, like ticks and movements in the eyebrow thing that, and even like his cadence and stuff, it sounds like he's just copying Spock. Yes. Which, I mean, it's working, I guess, but uh, it's it's fairly clear that's what's going on. Yeah, I mean, it ties into our conversation we had in Enterprise. A lot of people who thought I was too hard on the Vulcans there were saying, no, like there's different Vulcans, like different Vulcans will act differently. I have the counter argument, which is that I think all Vulcans should kind of act the same as each other. Like that, like, because Sarek and Spock act borderline the same, but I don't think that, I think the construction of that species is that they should all kind of act Mm -hmm. like that. They should act like mm-hmm. they should follow the Spock example as this is what he is. Tuvok's interesting to me just because he is a it is a good performance. And as people have mentioned in the comments, he's the only like pure Vulcan we've seen so far. He's not mm. he's not ha- like half human. He's not emotionally tra- traumatized like to Paul or whatever. He's just kind of a normal Vulcan mm-hmm. character. And I don't know. Wait till they bring him back on one of these new shows. I know. And it turns out he he's, has a horrible yeah, childhood. Molested as a child or something. Yeah. It's, yeah. So it's all gonna it's all gonna come back that way. But he killed he killed one of his childhood friends in a freak baseball game. <laughs> Frisbee golf. <laughs> I went up for the header. No, I I like Tuvok. I, I think that he just I think that he's really mm-hmm. satisfying in this detective story just because he is so coldly efficient as the detective asking about what's well, going on yeah i think that's the thing is because in in detective stories the detective is always kind of the the is meant to be the objective party yeah and you know if you, if you get into like the agatha christie stuff hercule poirot is fairly removed from everything you know yeah. he's just there to solve the crime sherlock holmes just there to solve the crime um when you get into the hard-boiled stuff, there's a little bit more gray area, but ultimately their job is to be uh, present the illusion of being able to be swayed one way or another and be tempted and stuff, but ultimately they're there to be objective and solve the crime. Mm. So I would say Noir a, actually a, twists that a little bit. Noir is always the detective gets personal with whatever is happening to them. They solve the crime, he but they does. become drawn into it. And I think that's why Tuvok stands apart here is because he does not get drawn yeah. in, in the noir way. Yeah. I would say they, they do, but ultimately that's where the 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 uh, um, the pain in the character comes from is because the noir detective does get, get involved and does get personal, but then at the end when he has to, he divorces himself right. from all that stuff and he he becomes the objective yeah. crime solver. You know, that's why he's always like, it's too late for you, baby, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, the case um, is usually therapeutic Then he's, then to he's them. sad because, yeah. <laughs> right. yeah like they, solving the case solves the personal problem at the same time, or at least it, it puts a bandage on it or something. Yeah, I would say bandage more yeah. than solves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's why a, a Vulcans work well in that role is because as the objective arbiter it makes perfect sense that they would they would be the one to be the uh the detective i mean maybe a show based on that would not be fun to watch no it wouldn't it wouldn't last for like an episode (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, because I was thinking when they were doing this thing, I, they're trying to figure out what's going on. And he's like, I got this thing in my head. And the whole time I'm going, mind meld, mind meld. Yeah. Yeah. Use a mind meld. Why aren't you using mind? And then they finally do it. And, it, you know, et cetera. But I guess it's like, <clears throat> I guess a detective Vulcan, if that was his job, he would just be mind melding all yes. over the place. Yep. Yeah, there's not <laughs> the Vulcan instead Matlock of, series. Instead of is that very scene short. you always get, instead of that scene you always get where they have to like put on a disguise to serve somebody papers or something, <laughs> he puts on a disguise and walks over and just like surprise mind melts somebody. So, one thing this is reminding me of is that um, the doctor's in this one and Tuvok is in this one. The show mm-hmm. is um, the show has set them up pretty interestingly, where the doctor hologram android basically is more emotional than tuvok is about things like the yeah yeah. i I really enjoyed just the um when tuvok requests like the brain scans or something and the doctor's like this is not for layman like this is pretty complicated he's like i would like to know all the details he's like all right well i'll send the whole fucking thing over to you (laughs) and then when he's yelling at him about the brain damage he's going to suffer from mind melding and stuff it's 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 just a really unusual flip that the doctor character is not the data character of the show, you know? When mm. you'd expect well, him to be. Well, I mean, I mean, that's not how Bones was. I mean, Bones and Crusher were never, like, dispassionate. No, but the, the doctor's a hologram. Was, the doctor's, like, a fake person. You know, like, you'd expect him. Oh, you're, him. you're talking specifically. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. I thought you just meant, like, traditionally. No, um, but they have Tuvok yeah, no, who that, has to be the data character, you know. So the, right, the, 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 right. it's it's just kind of a it's an interesting flip flop or like a decision to make the doctor so animated because uh, I think it comes down to the yeah. actor maybe because Picardo I don't think could play a data character very well, but he plays this character very well. Yeah, and I, I do think it's th- that stuff is interesting. It's an interesting comparison in this episode, especially. Because they have that first scene with the doctor where Cass is talking about whether or not he's real and like what are memories, if not programs that are stored in the, you know, squishy computer of a person's brain. And so then when you get when you put those two into a scene together, like what is the doctor's emotional response stemming from? Yeah. You know, so yep. it's I, I do think it's it's kind of slyly. Um, interesting in 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 that in that sense in this episode. Yeah, they don't I w- feel like it's not the focus of the episode putting those two across from each other, but they do yeah. it and they set it up so you you kind of have that stuff in the back of your mind. So yeah. I think it's I think it's pretty well done. Yeah, I, I wonder how, the doctor is interesting to me, to me because I wonder how much of him is intentional because he's he's sort of contradictory right. at the same time, but it's like an interesting contradiction of how much he feels, how realistic he is, and the fact that no one treats him as a real person. Um, it, it's very, like, you can understand people be, being weird around Data because Data is weird, and he's not, he doesn't seem real. But if you were a person new to Voyager and you walked into sickbay and the doctor was activated, you would assume he's just a normal person in there, right? There's right. nothing about right. him that screams, I'm a fake person, because even... Even when they try to demonstrate that he has all this knowledge, it still comes across in a less than data way where data would give you, you know, pi to the millionth degree. And you'd be like, wow, this is a superhuman mm-hmm. thing. The doctor just seems to know a lot about medicine, really. It's not a, it's right. not a crazy thing yeah. that he can do. And he, he still just scans people with a tricorder and stuff like that. So, 
Yeah. I guess it makes sense, though, because he is being a doctor. They would need to. Pre- That's what's kind of funny about him as a character, because being a doctor, they would need. I assume that they realize they would need to program some sort of bedside manner into him <clears throat> so he doesn't just come across like data trying to stab you or cut you with a scalpel when he needs right. to. Um, yeah. So why they chose this is is a really interesting <laughs> question. But They talked about reprogramming him, but they, they decided not to do it. Yeah, they've got to they've got to do that at some point in the show, right? Where like his something's got to go personality wrong. Personality program gets yeah. fucked up, and he just gets to do like three or four different things in an yeah. episode. I assume they must. I would I would have to think that they do. Um, we'll see. That's it for ex post facto. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. If you want to support the show, patreon.com slash the Penske file is the place to do it. A couple dollars a month gets you extra stuff. I think we're still in Picard at this point. We're probably getting towards the end of Picard. If you haven't watched any Picard and listened to it, you can go to Patreon. That's where we're covering every single episode of Star Trek Season 2 of Picard, if I said that right. Patreon.com slash the Penske file. There's a whole bunch of stuff there. There's all bunches and kinds of podcasts and things like that. We'll talk more at the end of the episode. So, as always, our Captain Tier... Gets a special thank you. Captains on Patreon include Ben Douglas, Tark Latif, Andrew Cholog, Joint Mango, Kyle Barrett, Christian Pouch, Mike Burnett, Matthew Ross, Michael Pond, Matt Cutler, Brendan Howells, Nick Sergey, Grim Santo, Sean Bradley Killens, Dwayne Hackett, Ball 13 Hero, Kevin Reyes, Jordan Cooper, Darth Moss, Russell Ellis, Stephen Minton, HH28, Derek Zajak, Paul Roscoe, Jig123, Patrick Seba, Dave Davies, Poindexter G, Barry Wallace, Jamie Crow, Captain Brazink, Eric Antoine, Jakey's Gamer, Kevin Lowry, Nick the Rat, William Seisler, Rahan Jaffrey, Grapple John Zorn, Zane Majors, Olivia Pardur, Tom Hickey, Jose Hunter, ZWF Remixes, Captain Munchausen, James McLennan, Disbrada Jonas, Tommy Tango, Admiral Nakamura, Edmark Starr, <gasps> Tuvix Must Die, Chris McLaughlin, Royo, Jeremy Boudreau, Jeremy Boudreau, Rich for the Machine, J Man, The Undiscovered Mugato, Robbie Duffield, Daniel Adam, Will Clay, and Atanga Udom. Thank you very much, everybody, for supporting us for Star Trek Picard and uh, the Batman episode, I'm assuming. <laughs> That's where everybody yeah. is. But thanks very much. And as always, Clay. We go to patron comments now. There's 16 of them, I think. Norman Buckwald says, ex post facto, oh, let's do some type of film noir in Star Trek and have them appear like bird-like aliens whose women strangely also have mammal-like breasts and who's, <laughs> who have dogs as pets. <laughs> I, too, focus on her breasts. It tries to have hey some man, characters. Hey, chickens have breasts. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> You don't hear about us complaining about that. <laughs> that was um, <laughs> that was a good joke. I'm gonna I'm gonna remember that one actually. It tries to do some characterization of Tuvok as an investigator in the story of Tom Paris is having to relive the same thing constantly. It does uh, it did predate DS9 episodes Hard Time, although Hard Time was much superior because we knew who O'Brien was at the time and we barely know Tom. Otherwise, it's too gimmicky and disappointing in spite of LeVar Burton's direction. One lame bird helmet out of five. James McLennan wow. says, while Tuvok as detective works as a characterization, the mystery he has to work with is incredibly mediocre, and while the dog didn't do it like an Aquiel, the dog still reveals who does it, and it's almost as bad. Two out of five. It does have big uh, Maggie shot Mr. Burns energy. From, yeah. yeah. From The Simpsons. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I, I remember watching that when it aired, actually. That's one of those like iconic TV moments, the, who, sure. shot, who shot Mr. Yeah. Burns. I... I very clearly remember watching the first half of it. Yes. I don't 
as much remember watching the second half. It's fairly early in The I, Simpsons, isn't it? Is it like season four or five? I, uh, that they did that? It's, Is it later I think that? it's season six. Okay. I think it's I think it bridges six and seven, if I remember correctly. Royo says, ex post facto, it's TNG's matter of perspective 2.0, and I didn't even like that TNG episode. The problem with these accusation dramas on Star Trek is there's no chance the cast member can be guilty, undercutting the intrigue of the episode. This is why I didn't even care for that DS9 episode, Tribunal, where the Cardassians pretended O'Brien was guilty. It's just eye-rolling. Voyager will eventually figure this out five seasons from now and realize the drama is not if Paris is guilty, but actually is guilty and show the fallout. Also, the direction in this oh, episode felt pretentious. At least they didn't break out the black and white filter for Riker's, Riker's trial in a matter of perspective. 1.5 out of 5. Man, um, a, lot of, a lot of hate for this episode. Yeah, I. he mentions the... There's no chance that the cast member can be guilty, which I sort of understand as a criticism and sort of don't. But like... I guess what's mentioned later is like, it's not if it's guilty, but he actually, like, I think there's a, a way to focus on this one of Paris's actions are guilt, you know? Like, there's, there's, mm-hmm. they don't choose to do that, but I, I guess the other way of looking at this is like, I don't really care if I know that the character is not going to be guilty because if the journey in these episodes is entertaining enough, I like it for that, you right. know, and right. I think that's yeah. always the problem with these mis- murder mysteries to me is that because I know the end result, I really want the mystery to be pretty strong and interesting. And a lot of the times it's not that way in Star Trek anyway. So, yeah, I, I, that's also a very different episode. Yes. Cause like, could you imagine if, if you get to the end of this episode and Tuvok is like, captain, could I talk to you for a second? I've managed to very, Whittly and pithily determine who the murderer is, and uh, it's actually Tom <laughs> Paris. I'm not really sure what to do with this information. We have to cover it up and get him off the planet as quickly as possible. And Janeway, you know, like Janeway goes, "Damn it! We promised that that uh, president we wouldn't leave orbit. <laughs> There's nothing we yeah. can do." <laughs> yeah. Like that's it's a very different episode, and I don't know if seven episodes into this new season you want to have your main cast member murdering uh, and raping, be guilty, <laughs> be, guilty, be guilty of adultery and also murder. Yeah, it's it's tough. I just you do need that central journey to be fun. Um, random tangent. It's it's a, similar to that how the Doctor is constructed. It's a strange decision, right, to have the Voyager be the most powerful ship that the Delta Quadrant has seen. That's a that's an unusual decision, I think. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, they it mentioned it multiple like times. They run into so many yeah. ships that just get shot down by Voyager, and it's like that's you, they you don't get those. It to be the other, they one. don't get those La Serena cannons though that no. can take out a federation ship with one shot right no. in the ass. That, that's coming um yeah it is it is a weird it is an odd choice i i feel like it feels like a choice that is another way of them trying to hang on to the tng energy mm. because i mean the galaxy class starship is the most powerful thing yeah, the in best that show thing, basically yeah. everywhere they go there yeah so i think it would be i think it would be very interesting if they were not the most powerful ship in the in the quadrant, um, but I kind of see why they are. Yeah, 
it's more it's definitely more expected because it adds that drama of like everything they run into could be dangerous because they're in this like incredibly yeah. dangerous thing. You know what I, it also does though? Mm. It also um it also makes the humans seem more and Starfleet seem more superior than everybody else. Yes. Which is a weird flex. Um they're there to help. I think if you make that show now, yeah, I think if you make this show now, you don't do that. Um, not for any cynical reasons, but just because it is it is strange to do to do that to because everyone they've met are fairly advanced, all things considered. But yeah, they just have lower tech. They just don't advanced. have guns. Yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> yeah, they. I think it's a weird choice, just because you would expect in a series that's built on trying to get home that they would constantly be on the run sort of like this danger around every corner and they've gone instead Mm -hmm. for a more wild west setup where they've come in with the guns and they're running into native americans basically who are not as technologically advanced and they have sort of strange customs as as compared to the the starfleet characters who show up but yeah they're they're never going to get into the like the thing there that you could really dig at is that, like, you know where the Native American story ended up in real life history, but it doesn't seem there's no mm-hmm. bad impact of Voyager or anything like that. So it's not right. It's lacking any kind of drive. I just think it's a really unique decision, a strange one. Well, is isn't it also kind of strange to have them be so overpowered when, I mean, the other uh, mega power in the quadrant is the Borg, right? Right, yeah. So yeah. it's, I don't know. We'll yeah. see how I think they, it would be more interesting if they weren't the most powerful. But Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, That then that that would be like Enterprise, I guess, which Enterprise hasn't happened yet, True. obviously. Um, True, yeah. Well, you know what I think would be a nice difference to split? <clears throat> if they, if they, if they present themselves as the most powerful but they know that they're not because their ship's fucked up because of everything that's going on so like if if uh you know in this episode when she's like bring the ship into orbit i want them to see i want them to see us coming i i I wish someone would be like captain our guns don't work Mm -hmm. you know we're still we're still trying to figure out how the warp core blah 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 blah. and she's like i know but they don't know that yeah (laughs) you know like that give it a little bit of edge instead of it just being that they are the most powerful weapon in the quadrant. Yeah. I, w- I wonder if they were concerned about the Dominion because I think that the other way you can do this is that they beam into the Delta Quadrant. They're reticent to deal with the Borg right away because that feels mm-hmm. like it's just like we know you know what's going on. Like the Borg are going to come later. But, and I think that they, my memory's hazy, but I think that they do do something like this. But it, I would expect that the setup to this be you've beamed into this new empire that is very hostile to you, but you're smack Mm -hmm. dab in the middle of this damn thing and you have to get through all of their territory to get to the other side to get home. That kind of feels like that's the setup that you would have. It's just just like there's at least one power out there that are very threatening to you and that would be where the drama comes from. I'm not sure. Yeah. I think, you know, I try to think of this, and maybe this isn't the way to think about it because I, I guess they're not thinking about it like this, 
But I try to think of it in, in global terms where I think I said this earlier where it's like it's it's like if you were from the United States and you were trying to get home because you all of a sudden were transported to like uh, Russia or something or, or Germany or, so, you know, or with no phones or whatever. Yeah. Like thinking that way, it's like because if you think of, yeah, if you think of the if the quadrant or the galaxy or whatever you want to call it. As a, as as a planet with all different things all over the place, or as our planet, um, you're bound to run into another superpower that you are not aware of, obviously, right. and don't know how to deal with. So it's like, yeah, if you all of a sudden got transported to Russia in the in the tail end of World War One during the Russian Revolution or something like that, it's like, oh shit, you know, th- there's there's more to deal with there i think right and it's more real that's more realistic than just popping out into this other place where you are all of a sudden the most powerful person yeah there in this in this area that you have know nothing about yeah right latte librarian says ex post facto a fun mystery where they have to figure out how paris was framed tuvok makes a great investigator and the direction direction feels genre appropriate the punishment of reliving a victim's last moments is interesting but how effective would it actually be as a deterrent three alien dogs out of five my question about it is how do these guys deal with serial killers who get joy from killing does that bother them at all? Like, is you have to this this huh. punishment only works if you regret murdering the person, right? Unless, because is it supposed yeah, to be the pain true. of being killed yourself is supposed to be bad? They seem okay. I guess. Yeah, it seems to be like the experience of being murdered is supposed to be the, so <laughs> horrible. Like, I, I well, well, I, I, I don't know if you are being literally put into the mindset of the person. So instead of just like watching it and experiencing, you are literally put into the mindset. So you yeah. are against Empathetic. your own will. You experience, yeah. Experiencing the fear and, and the pain and stuff that the other person, whether or not you enjoy it or not. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, I guess that maybe that would fall. Maybe the serial killer <laughs> needs to be on the other side of it. But I, I was also just kind of wondering like how, because Paris, it's only bad for Paris because he's a human and it's like killing him. But if you're just a mm-hmm. one of those aliens, you just probably go like, oh, I got to get through this. All right, there we go. At least I'm not in prison. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, you're getting an ice cream, ice cream headache every day. Uh... <laughs> well, that's the other thing. I don't know if I don't think it's like the only thing, right? I don't think they release you into the world again with oh, just do they the, imprison uh... you and make you relive it? I, guess? I would assume so. I, mm. you know, it's like. Maybe not. I don't know. Oh, maybe that's right. Do they just let Paris go because Voyager is there? I don't think they're ever very clear about this, how this, how yeah, this works. Good As question. we've discovered, not a lot thought out about the, the, the wider environment and circumstances <laughs> of this episode and how any of this stuff works. Man, but well, we did determine that it doesn't matter. So. <laughs> Ross says, after you get past the weird bird stuff on the alien faces in the film noir-like story, which is rather slow, the highlights are the unintentional humor of the alien dog as a witness and Tuvok and Paris's conversation at the cafeteria. I didn't buy the Lothario-Tom Paris angle. The eventual spy nature of the aliens at war has been done better elsewhere. Two space dogs out of five. Michael, 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 I was out at dinner with my wife the other night and I looked down at my plate and all of a sudden it hit me and I said, Chickens have breasts too, and I thought, how can we use that? (laughs) 
Teleplay by Rick Berman. <laughs> Point X to G. Ex post facto. Using the memory engrams of a victim in court is a unique idea. Having them be used as punishment, even more so. The episode starts a bit slow with the setup via flashbacks, but where it picks up is with investigator Tuvok. A Vulcan works very well in the detective role, and it's his to see it all culminate in a Holmes-like reveal scene at the end, although Paris showed some very poor decision-making that ought to be addressed by the captain. Agreed. There's there's so much about this episode and the mechanics of this punishment device that are thrown up in the air the minute you start thinking about it. Like the yes. fact that they proved, supposedly, I guess they proved, that you can manufacture these things, this would bring every single case that has ever been settled or convicted due <laughs> right to this question. memory implant, yeah, back into appeal. Every yeah. single one of them. Yeah, certainly by this doctor. This uh, everything, every every yeah. case this doctor is processed. Let's just pull it up. Yeah, it's um, it does open. It's it's what I said earlier. It's it's an episode that is wobbling the entire time. But for some reason, I didn't care about any of this while I was watching. I was like, eh, no, is, yeah, it doesn't really fun. matter. Yeah, ex post facto from Jonas. Very good episode. We've seen it before, of course, in every Star Trek series, but Voyager has added the twist about the memory extraction. Good drama. I actually cared about Paris. Of the top three so far, 3.75 out of 5. Kyle Barrett says, Detective Tuvok is the best Tuvok, and it's just a shame this case doesn't do him justice. With the trite noir dialogue, the femme fatale who wears great granny cardigans, and the most obvious and reductive twist in the book, this episode is less Alfred Hitchcock and more Alfred Shitcock. The plot has no connection to Voyager's cool premise, and so the show becomes nothing but TNG light, mixing plot elements we've seen in multiple episodes with the franchise's past with an underexplored Black Mirror twist. Tom Paris is also my least favorite regular cast member on any Star Trek show, so I was disappointed he was found innocent. The writers, particularly in early seasons, <laughs> think he's a charming bad boy. The casting call was for a Han Solo type, but he's a sleazy, arrogant, unlikable prick. Two major miscastings out of five. Bruce Davidson. Darth Mosk says, Brandon, we need sexier, clean-shaven, hornier Aryan Riker. His first big outing after being convicted for treason and setting up the French brothel on the holodeck is getting accused of rape and murder. Can you do it? Say no more, fam. Also, shout out to the scientists in the Delta Quadrant having slippers. Comfort is universal. <laughs> Two, at least Tuvok <laughs> rocks out of five. Undiscovered Mugato, I watched all Voyager years ago and was dreading this episode, but I couldn't remember why. Ah, yes, the bird people. Those creepy pheasant feathers. I mean, how could, have you ever held a bird? It's weird. And does their downy carpet match the drapes? Otherwise, their culture was mundanely human on every level, including smoking, drinking, and tiny little nervous dogs. The noir whodunit was paint by the numbers, but Tuvok getting a chance to wet his own beak made it somewhat enjoyable. Two logical cloacas out of five. Excellent. I think you're bringing... I think he's bringing his own personal feelings about birds into the judgment of this episode. Yeah. It's true. Have you ever owned a bird? No, God, no. No. <laughs> we had a bird when I was younger. It flew out the window and was never seen again. Goodbye, bird. Wherever <laughs> you may be now. <laughs> flew out the window. <laughs> yeah, well, I was trying That's to shoot it What your mom told gun. you happened. No. <laughs> yeah. You went to school yep. and you came home and your bird flew out the window. Yeah. Definitely was, definitely didn't get stuck in the vacuum. No, it was I remember that thing was so noisy too. Um Oh yeah. Yeah. What's the weirder person? If you have a lot of cats or a lot of birds? Ooh. I think cats actually. <clears throat> birds are just so like having 
I have a friend who owns multiple birds, and I don't understand why. Because mm. at least one of them, she's always like, I hate this bird. It never shuts up. <laughs> it's like, yeah, why? I mean, like, cats don't do that. Dogs, well, some dogs do, but cats generally don't. So I guess it's the difference between living with a bunch of roommates who don't want anything to do with you and living with a bunch of roommates who never shut up. Yeah. I think it's... I think cats are worse because I think there's a you cannot get super close to a bird, right? Like bird collectors seem like they just like the birds and they're like, I, I will just have a collection mm-hmm. of birds here and I'll live with them. Mm-hmm. People who really like cats are like pseudosexual with their cats. You know, there's like there's like a level of like sure. closeness with those animals that I find very dis- uh, disturbing. Yeah. But bird, I've never seen anyone snuggle a bird. I don't think you just put them on your finger and like walk around with them. You know. I mean, the the blind kid from Dumb and Dumber got really close with that bird that he had. That's true. Yeah. He didn't have much else. Not close enough to realize he was dead, though. <laughs> you'd, th- you'd think his other sight- senses would be heightened, but not so much. Benjamin Espinosa says, They're really getting inventive with the costumes here. Bird feather head people. The story kept me engaged, and I like Tuvok's turn as Inspector Holmes. Yes, it does feel like a script from TNG's reject bin, and Riker could have been the stand-in for Paris. But with all of these so far, good acting and character work from the cast cover a multitude of sins. Three cock-blocking Ensign Kims out of five. Aaron Million says, This one vaguely reminded me of TOS's The Wolf in the Fold, where Scotty is accused of murdering two women. Unfortunately, Voyager doesn't pin this murder on Jack the Ripper. I did like Tuvok's completely Vulcan way of assessing the situation. No emotions to affect his judgment. That is about, <coughs> that is about all that saves this episode for me, as Tom Paris is not one of my favorites. Two memory implants out of five. A lot of hatred for Tom Paris. Grappler John yeah. Zorn says, Is this Trek's best film noir episode? I'm not saying there's a deep bench or anything, but this is structured nicely and Tuvok is enjoyable in the investigator role. The only thing I don't really buy is that Tom's whole, what was I supposed to do? I was bored routine. Yeah. Three out of five. <laughs> I mean, I we never really mentioned it before, but Odo is designed as a noir detective. Like he has noir True. detective yeah. episodes, but his characterization is very much in the gruff noir detective vein, you know? Right. Yeah. That's yeah. why I would say that DS9's detective stories focusing on Odo are probably the best. I think that Necessary Evil is better than this one and stuff like that. Um, that has the femme fatale and everything. But he's he's the traditional character that you expect. This one's interesting because it's Tuvok is not supposed to be that character. And that's why I think it's kind of kind of neat. Are you surprised that they go to this story so early in the show? This seems like something you do after, like, Two is two or three seasons in to just kind of have fun. Oh, just because it's such a break from the normal or like the setup of the show. Yeah. you think? Yeah, I, that's I don't what mind I kind of that they do it, but it's just yeah. I I think that's what I was talking about when the first time you see the aliens with Harry Kim, it feels like it's like wow, these guys just mm-hmm. came in and met them, and it you know it, it doesn't feel right. like we're still yeah. Voyager trying to figure out its way home. We're now well established, and we will meet with right. anybody who's out here. We're going to yeah. talk to you people. Yeah, I'm still not even sure. I know they said it, but why are they even talking to these people? I don't know. I, I are they still scavenging for fuel or something? I I don't know. I don't but know yeah, why they're talking th- to them. That's that's why I, I you know when I was saying about the Civil War stuff, I was surprised I didn't play up that a little bit more because it does it just feels so casual. 
Yeah. So so very TNG kind of casual, where it's just like we're stopping over at this planet, just saying hey. Yeah. Asking to see their labs or something. There was I don't know if you saw the discussion on Discord. There was a discussion about sort of how you reconcile the fact of um, Neelix still knowing stuff when you would think that they'd be mm-hmm. beelining at home. And I guess um, Jonathan had brought up this sort of fan theory that Voyager spends early part of its voyage sort of going in circles, trying to get fuel and stuff like that. I did see that. Yeah. I understand that point, but that that's like a ridiculous rationale. If You know, like I, I can understand that that's why you need to explain how Neelix still knows things and how they haven't really escaped the Kazon, which we'll run into, and how they haven't escaped the, the Vidians mm-hmm. and stuff that we're going to run into again and again. Um, I just think that's like on the decision of a rational choice. If you had to get home, you would just beeline at home because you don't know what's out there to scavenge anyway. You know, I don't know. Yeah. No, I, that's why I don't like the character of Neelix in general. Cause this whole thing where he's like, if you're going to be flying around this quadrant, you need to know someone who knows the quadrant. Mm-hmm. It's like, how, how much of this can he possibly know? Right. Nothing. Like that would be helpful at all. I mean, tech. I guess he had been in. He had encountered the uh, the weird bad guys from this episode. No, he knew uh, the most. He, I think this is the most yeah. Neelix has ever known about any situation for some yeah. reason. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, she, I, I, I. That's why I, I wish he was like lying about that stuff because it. It would make more not, sense. It's not super. Yeah. yeah. It, it's more believable if he was just lying instead. Like. If he has a couple more episodes where he knows everything about the aliens, they'll start to go, this is unbelievable. Like, even in yeah. TNG, they didn't know anything about any of the planets that they went to. So how does Neelix know everything about all these guys? Mm-hmm. Christian Pouch says, to I watched... Use, to get back to the... And I may have said this earlier. If I did, I forget. Um, to get back to the global analogy, mm. it's like landing in Russia and then saying, okay, I need you to help me get home to the United States, and then like going to Germany and being like, do you know how people act in this town in Germany? And the guy from Russia being like, no, I know exactly how people act yeah. from this small town in Germany. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, the, the Europeans who know seven languages or whatever, that's Neelix. Neelix doesn't speak other languages. That's true. You think that would be the easiest way to convey yeah. that stuff that he knows a lot. But I guess, yeah, or- I, guess I should take that back because the trope of the – the guy, who, the very worldly character who knows nine languages, is fairly ubiquitous. So I guess I'm wrong there. But <laughs> I'm surprised. I'm saying that, it doesn't scale up. Yeah, I'm surprised that Neelix isn't designed as an alien where that makes sense for him. You know, just to justify yeah. it a little bit, just to be like he's from a right. a race that knows everything <laughs> or something like that, or just have him. Have him be a little bit more savvy instead of just being like a furry-headed fuckboy kind yeah. of thing. You know, he's like, just give him some something to him that seems believable that oh. he knows this stuff. You know what would make sense? And they probably didn't want to do? Uh, another Elorian, like Guinan, because their people are from this part of the oh, galaxy. Sure. And they've lived long sure. enough where they know a lot of stuff, you know? Yeah. But they're not funny. Yeah, they're not funny like Neelix Clay. You can't have, got to have comedy. <laughs> well, I mean, they could be. I mean, we've only met one. That's true. We're I mean, technically like three if you count the the ones we see in generations. I but guess. if you but, if you live long enough, you've heard every joke. Everything ceases to be funny at that point. You're just like I I heard that three hundred well, years be, ago. Well, it could be. I mean, 
some of the best characters, some of the best characters in Highlander are the ones who have been around for like 300 years and are just like drunkards because mm-hmm. they know everything and they've experienced everything. So they're just having a good time until they get their heads cut off. In my reboot of Voyager, I would change Neelix for an Elorian that I am not sure what else I would yeah. characterize that person as, but that would make sense as to why this person is selected. It'd be sure. Guinan's brother. He wants, he wants to get hitched a ride to Earth. <laughs> to meet up with Guinan at a bar. Christian Pouch says... Her brother, Guy. <laughs> Gee. Let's not make it too obvious. It's Gee. I watched enough forensic <laughs> files to know that it was the wife who killed the guy. Also, it's really obvious. Watching Tuvok work is great, but the mystery simply isn't that deep. I will go to bat for the featherhead design. Yes, it's weird, but the aliens are weird. I'm glad they're experimenting and trying out weird shit. Three out of five. Kieran Simmons says, although incredibly cheesy and ordinary, this feels like pure comfort food of an episode. Tuvok gets some decent stuff here, too. Three fake memory engrams out of five. Final comment, Brandon Howells. Or Tom Paris and the bird-haired people. Ex post facto. How is it that Voyager is 70 light years, 70 light years away from, 70,000 light years away from home, or 70, it might be 70 years, and they're still able to meet such a cliched human-like couple. Young, bored, sexy wife with older scientist husband? And let's not forget the dog. This episode is way too like Wolf in the Fold, a matter of perspective, a man alone, two days and two nights, with a touch of the mind's eye thrown in. I've seen it done before and better. Two pieces of bad tasting Ralk out of five. Thanks, everybody, for leaving your thoughts about it. Some negativity mixed in with mm. moderate positivity. Um, what are you going to give ex post facto? I'll give it a three. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I, uh, I'm i not familiar enough with the other episodes that are being mentioned to for this to feel really, you know... Uh, Comparative. Old hat way. to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I and I think it's... I think it's it's got enough fun built into it that uh it's still enjoyable to me and um yeah i mean the, the plot is goofy at best but uh i think it works i think i think it's like a definitional three for me i watched it and it was like this is fine yeah there's nothing really wrong with this and yeah like i i it's it's better than it was fine. I enjoyed watching this one. I was like, this is there's some fun moments in here. This is all going well. I I think that the weakness of it is the plot mechanics, but there's nothing really wrong with the plot. It's just that it's like I wish this was better than this. Right, uh, right. This is just functional. But I enjoyed it. I don't think there's too many problems with it. That's at a weird, quirky Star Trek episode issues that hop up with these kind of um, genre episodes when they do them. And three out of five for me. No problems so far. Voyager continues off to its best season of Star Trek, uh, best first season of Star Trek, I think, across all the series, just by betting 250, you know, like it's, it's, it's getting on base yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's got, um, it, it's sort of a, a, a good episode for my uh, narrative cone of vision theory of storytelling and structure mm-hmm. where it's like, this is, has the most narrow of circles where if you, take one step outside the circle the whole thing just falls apart and it's yeah. it's as long as you stay inside the circle and and don't ask too many questions it i think it works fine yeah it, it definitely walks a tightrope of narrative logic in a, in a lot of ways and um and uh, i mean to its detriment maybe it doesn't even really do other stuff well enough where you don't care like it's just that i don't think it screws up the plot stuff enough to make me bothered but it's not 
you know, it's not a great Tuvok and Paris episode or anything like that. So it's fine. It's a right, three. Right. Thanks, everybody. Patreon.com slash the Penske file is the best way to support the show. You can hear all of Star Trek Picard. We'll be doing Strange New Worlds only on Patreon.com. And there's 100 plus other podcasts up there that you can listen to if you're so inclined. Clay, do you want to say anything about what you do on the Patreon? Yeah, uh, Amanda and I, my co-host for the Rotten Horror Picture Show, are covering this year. We're covering the Stephen King second string, which is uh, we usually work off the Rotten Tomatoes 200 best horror movies of all time list that has a bunch of Stephen King movies on it. We wanted to cover ones that are not on that list. January, we did It Chapter 2. February, we did Silver Bullet. March, we did Salem's Lot. And in April, we are doing Needful Things, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, So if you like Stephen King, check that out. And uh, thanks for checking out the Batman Patreon episodes that we've done with Badass. Um, Mm -hmm. Are we in April right now? If we're in April, we'll have another one up where Sean and I talk about one of the, uh, the upcoming red hood book that he and i worked on together and that's pretty fun so keep your eyes open it's probably out that one's probably out by now so if you guys are interested you can go to patreon and listen to that (coughs) that's it we're done ex post facto we both gave it threes the next episode is something else and it is called emanations that's my favorite mastodon song um we're done with this one both gave it a three Voyager continues. We are halfway through the first season of Voyager, I think, at this point, Clay. So, wow, it's a quick fast. season. Um, yeah. I guess that's it. Looks like it's a Chakotay episode because he's in the picture. So, we'll see. I don't know if it actually is. But thanks, everybody, for listening. Support the show at Patreon. Listen to Star Trek Picard. Let us know what you thought about this episode. See ya.